from Spam 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 Humbug. I'm Kenneth Cooley, better known as WTF Dragon, and this is a complete reading of Andrea Cantato's Through the Moongate. Chapter 15. Origin Systems Incorporated Thrives. The games industry was quite small in those days, and we all did a lot of computer shows. I suspect our first meeting, Dave with Richard Garriott, was at one of those Apple Fests or the SF Computer Show. My area of expertise in those days was adventure and FRP games, so we had a lot in common, and a love of the same genres. Dave Albert. Then I played Ultima, and loved it. I'd never played anything like it. I really didn't have experience with RPGs, so it blew me away with the sheer adventure of it. Chuck Doherty, Interview with Chester Bolingbroke, The CRPG Addict, 2015. The fantasy begins with Origin Systems and never ends. Origin Systems, Inc., 1987 Catalog. Far from home, demoralized by the two thefts, and having to put aside programming and design to deal with production, packaging, and customer support, Richard began to feel depressed. Even contact with locals felt difficult due to differences in accent. The solution was the same as on the Oklahoma campus in Austin and in the Sierra Online Chalet. Richard needed creative activity to break his routine and find his strength to get back to work. This time, however, the opportunity came on its own on Halloween. With help from a couple of programmers, he began to transform the two-story house into a haunted house in his free time. It was the first time he had tried it, and he liked the experiment so much that it lifted him up and gave him the needed boost to start programming again leaving him convinced to try it again later with more time and with better means at his disposal. The neighbors were invited to enter the house in groups to check out the special effects and tricks that Garriott and his colleagues had devised. It's unknown what they thought of the experience, but in the following months, the dismantled and abandoned material in the garden caused misunderstandings between the new Texans and the neighborhood. Richard now had a new problem to solve. Origin Systems needed to grow. The proceeds from Exodus made it possible to hire some skilled programmers, which would help Richard develop the next Ultima, as well as put a couple of new games in the pipeline. Ultima 4 would not be ready for a couple of years, and Origin could not survive for so long without publishing something else. The Garriott brothers knew well that they were taking a gamble by focusing on the next chapter of Richard's saga. Commercial games grew in production quality and complexity, particularly CRPGs, which often overburdened a single programmer. Before this time, Richard had personally taken care of a good part of the code of his games, delegating only a few sections to his friends and collaborators, and he was not ready to take on the role of leading a team of programmers rather than doing it all himself. Some studios were transitioning to a more collaborative development model, where teams of specialists worked on several projects in their field of expertise all at once. One of Origin Systems' first hires was Dave Albert, formerly of Penguin Software, a company known for the Transylvania graphic adventure that he had programmed together with Antonio Antiochia and Mark Bilzarski. Albert was not only a programmer, but also possessed considerable managerial and creative skills. The Garriott brothers tried long and hard to get him on board. According to Albert, I joined Origin in September of 1984. I had previously worked at Penguin Software and felt a need to move on in my career. Robert and Richard Garriott had made a standing offer some months before, so I called them and accepted the position of VP Development and Marketing. Origin had five employees at the time I joined. Despite his high-profile title, Albert would be freshman number five in the budding Origin Systems Incorporated. One of his first assignments was to look for new products and developers. While at Penguin Software, he had worked with Greg Paul Malone when the latter had wrote Minuteman, a choplifter-style game. Back then, 
the two had discussed another project, a martial arts game. Malone decided to propose his idea to Origin, and Albert was immediately put in charge of its production. It was called Mobius, the Orb of Celestial Harmony. Production didn't go smoothly. During development, the programmer changed his mind regarding the art style, setting the project back several months. Fortunately, Origin was able to resolve this problem quickly. Again, according to Albert, Greg was a very talented and headstrong developer, and the game took some time to complete. He was finally persuaded to revert to the original style of art against a black background, and then the project got back on track and was completed. Albert wrote the documentation for the game and gave a hand with its storyline, mythology, and some of the game's mechanics. Once Mobius was finished, Origin Systems also had their first collaboration with Electronic Arts. Their agreement allowed Origin to take advantage of the considerable commercial channels that Trip Hawkins' company had available to it. Already on the way to becoming a giant in the industry, EA gave Origin access to Toys R Us, one of North America's largest retailers. This was an incredible increase in visibility for any producer. In fact, Nintendo would conceive a clever strategy the following year to be able to place their Nintendo Entertainment System toys at Toys R Us. This was achieved by way of a partnership with Worlds of Wonder, a toy company founded by former employees of Atari who were left out of work after the crisis of 1983. Worlds of Wonder produced a lovely talking teddy bear named Teddy Ruxpin, which became the best-selling toy of 1985. To get the stuffed animal on its shelves, Toys R Us was, in a way, forced to display the initially less desirable NES. But within just one year, the situation had reversed. While Teddy Ruxpin had diminished in popularity, the NES had become one of the most wanted products, pushing Worlds of Wonder to now seek Nintendo's support to stay in touch with Toys R Us. In this, they would not be successful. This was not the first time that a toy was used as leverage against retailers to sell a computer. In 1983, Coleco had tried breaking into the microcomputer market with the Coleco Atom, compatible with the 1982 ColecoVision console. Poor design decisions had led to an unreliable system, with a bad reputation and poor sales, which caused dismal returns and unhappy retailers. Out of sheer luck, that same year, Coleco also happened to release something that all children wanted for Christmas, Cabbage Pat's Kids Dolls. They compelled retailers to continue selling their ill-fated Adams computer if they also wanted their share of the Cabbage Patch Kids craze. As soon as the latter faded, the days of the Atom were numbered, and unfortunately, Coleco never recovered. Mobius had been developed for the Apple II, but the Commodore 64 had largely surpassed its user base. Only Exodus, Ultima 3, had experienced a conversion for the Commodore 64, which had been carried out by Chuck Bichet, who, as Mobius was nearing release, was busy programming a strategy game called Ogre, supported at least initially by Greenberg. Therefore, Robert and Richard decided to outsource the conversion to an external company that had only done a sports game for the Apple II called Computer Baseball. According to Dr. Cat, Origin had contracted a company called Softmates to program a Commodore 64 version of Mobius, but they were behind schedule and not showing proof that they were even partly finishing anything, and they were worried that Softmates wouldn't deliver a shippable product in time for Christmas. Coincidentally, Dr. Cat had also worked for Penguin Software when Dave Albert was still its vice president. Knowing the programmer's skill and familiarity with Commodore's platform, Albert suggested that Dr. Cat should be commissioned to convert Mobius. Dr. Cat and I had worked on a handful of projects prior to this when I was at Penguin, and I had a good deal of respect for his talents and confidence in his work ethic and ability to complete the project in the allotted time. According to Dr. Cat, Dave told Richard and Robert something like, let me contract Dr. Cat to start a C64 version from scratch with three months to finish it. He can do that. 
If Softmates finished, well, we just spend a few thousand dollars on an insurance policy. But if Softmates fails and Dr. Cat completes it, we'll have made a very sound investment that will make a big difference. You can offer him a full-time job if you like his work. Softmates was unable to deliver a quality product on time, but Dr. Cat made up for it, achieving a very good conversion. Seeing that the stakes were very high, he invested a lot of hard work. I delivered a high-quality, complete working version in three months, complete with integration of the open-source Sizzle Fastloader to speed up disk loads five times. Mobius was the first Origin game that did so much disk loading that it wouldn't be playable on the Commodore 64 without a fastloader, but hardly the last. We used Sizzle in every C64 release after that. After the mishap in 1983, when Dr. Cat had showed up at Origin's Texas office, this time he had earned himself the job. His role consisted essentially of porting games to the Commodore 64, while the games were still first being developed for the Apple II. Looking for new titles to further support the company, Richard turned to another old friend, Steve Jackson. The founder of Steve Jackson Games had already considered expanding his business into the field of computers. Observing the fortune that Richard had flaunted without any problems, Jackson had ordered the purchase of an Apple II. However, it remained unused for a long time, and was later turned on only to store his company's data and for some word processing. No one knew how to program it, and Jackson had too many commitments to personally go about creating video games. One of Steve Jackson Games' first successes was Car Wars, released in 1980, a tabletop game set in a dystopian future where the right-of-way belonged to the vehicle with the biggest cannon, as stated in the tagline of its packaging. On one of his visits to Austin, Richard was asked to create a video game adaptation. He'd hoped that this would give OSI the reprieve that it needed, gladly accepting and assigning it to Chuck Boucher. Chuck received help for the Commodore 64 port from Steve Muse, another programmer from Penguin Software. The result was AutoDuel, released in 1985, a real-time action game with RPG elements, which Origin Systems published for its usual platforms, the Apple II, the Commodore 64, the Atari 400 and 800, and the IBM PC, as well as the newly released machine, the Amiga. Overall, AutoDuel sold about 100,000 copies. A great success. Next, Steve Jackson proposed that Garriott should create a computer adaptation of one of his best creations so far, Ogre. A special science fiction game with an asymmetric gameplay. Two players challenged each other in a deadly fight where one side controlled a combat vehicle, a super-armed tank protected by heavy armor named the Ogre, while the other had to stop the opponent by relying on a large number of much less powerful units and defenses. Origin was now using feelies consistently in all of its game packaging, and in Ogre, they opted to include an identity card that classified the bearer as a member of the command staff for the, the 6502nd Infantry Division, the 2033rd Armored Division, the 8088th Ordnance and Service Tech Division, or the AI Programming Division, among other things. The card was sensitive to radiation and would change color when exposed to gamma rays, or at least so it was written in the game's instructions. The electronic version of Ogre was programmed by Steve Muse at the time with the support of Chuck Bichet and Dallas Snell a new entry at OSI. The latter had, until then, several experiences in video game programming, mainly as a freelancer. He had been the chief programmer on the graphic adventure The Quest, produced by Penguin Software in 1983, their best-selling title, created in the wake of the success of Roberta Williams from Sierra Online. Snell was a good programmer, and already had several commercial successes to his credit, yet Ogre would be his penultimate feat as a developer, after which he would become a key player at OSI, first as a producer, and later rising to the highest levels of the company. The development of Ogre was particularly demanding for the artificial intelligence capable of handling the turn-based game's complex system of rules. Ogre could be played by a single player against the computer or by two players via a hot seat system, i.e. 
taking turns at the computer's controls. To give players a challenge, Albert put a good part of the available programmers to work. OSI was still small, but very dynamic. Equipped with a handful of core technicians, the company had a secret weapon. Its offices were home to a number of independent developers and programmers. By providing infrastructure, office space, and logistical support, Origin functioned as a sort of startup incubator, as we would call it today. In 1986, there were two unofficially employed programmers working independently on their own projects, and at the same time contributing to Origin's other titles, Stuart Marks and Paul Narath. Snell, Marks, and Narath implemented Ogre's AI. Garriott and Boucher helped the programmer with suggestions, changes, and an in-depth playtesting that also involved Jeff Hillhouse and Steve Jackson himself. It was a great effort that made an impression upon Dave Albert's memory. My particular favorite endeavor of that era was the work done by all the devs on AI for the Steve Jackson game Ogre. After weeks of work, it was demonstrated that there was a slight imbalance in the game design that favored one side of the game, super tank versus conventional forces. As a result, Steve Jackson also slightly retouched some of the features of Ogre Mark V in the next edition. Placing itself in an even smaller niche than AutoDuel, Ogre was not as successful as hoped and sold around 10,000 copies. But Origin continued to be a small, independent software house in an industry where smaller players in the market ended up gravitating around entertainment giants, or were steadily attracted and sooner or later absorbed by them. Despite its modest size, OSI's influence on the market was disproportionately strong. The success of Garriott's role-playing games had set an example and made other players in the software industry feel that the CRPG genre should be exploited. One of the first results of this growing influence came in 1984 with the publication of Questron by Strategic Simulations Incorporated, SSI. Programmed by Charles Doherty and Gerald Weisor, Questron was very similar to the first installment of Ultima, a role-playing game in which the hero had to defeat an evil ruler named Montor by exploring a world shown with a bird's-eye view and tile graphics, as well as delve into dungeons that were shown via a first-person view. Sound familiar? It should. The two programmers, looking for a publisher, even forwarded to Sierra Online during Richard's brief stay in the Williams Chalet. Perhaps because of its great resemblance to Ultima, Ken Williams refused the offer, so they tried their luck with Broderbund instead. The similarity, Doherty assured all and sundry, was partly due to the obvious inspiration by Ultima, but fate also had a hand in it. According to Doherty himself, The outside terrain originally was very similar to Ultima. The menu system and overall screen layout was quite similar. But the other thing that happened was that somewhere around the time I was finishing Questron, Ultima 2 was published. Bear in mind, I'd never seen Ultima 2 prior to sending Questron off to publishers. But when it was released, I realized that Questron was far more similar to Ultima 2 than it had ever been to Ultima. This was horrifying and the changes advancements I'd made to not be too similar to Ultima were quite often similar to what turned out to be natural advancements between Ultima and Ultima 2. Broderbund was founded by brothers Doug and Gary Carlson, initially to publish Galactic Empire, released in 1980, a game that Doug had written for the TRS-80 the year prior. They experienced four years of continuous successes before becoming the 10th largest company in the market for microcomputer software in 1984, according to InfoWorld magazine. Started as a family business, Broderbund took its name from the Boer word Broderbund, which means band of brothers. But soon, Doug and Gary felt the need to change some letters to avoid the uncomfortable association with the homonymous South African secret society. The Carlston brothers decided that Questron deserved a chance. Their business was going very well, and a series of successes had made them a small giant. Among them, an action game called Raid on Bunjiling Bay 
the first experiment of a then-unknown developer named Will Wright. However, a cold shower for the two Doherty brothers soon arrived. According to Chuck Doherty, What Broderbun told me was that they were at some trade show showing a preview of Questron and Richard Garriott saw it. Apparently he was upset, and knowing what I know now, I don't blame him. This was of great concern to Broderbund, and they were no longer sure they were going to publish. The Doherty's tried to make changes that made Questron different from Ultima 2, but unfortunately, when the game was ready again to be released, Broderbund was no longer interested, and the two had no choice but to look for a new publisher, trying their luck this time with SSI. SSI was created to sell small strategy games, mainly written in BASIC for the TRS-80. It gave up on this platform soon thereafter, and on the advice of Trip Hawkins, had started publishing for the Apple II. Thanks to its success, SSI had expanded from strategy and war games to role-playing games. Questron would be the third CRPG released in 1984 for SSI, but once again, when Richard learned about the plan, he proceeded in the same way as with Broderbund. SSI's management did not immediately give in, and for the first time, Richard threatened to protect his interests in court. In fact, two companies managed to solve the dispute with an extrajudicial agreement, which guaranteed Garriott would appear in the accreditations of Questron as creator of structure and style of play, licensed from origin, against payment of a percentage. Nevertheless, the fact that first Broderbund and then SSI had recognized Garriott's work in this game was a clear indication that the style of play he had created had become influential. The gaming market, until then populated by developers not hesitating to copy other software, was about to mature. Having won his first legal battle, Garriott was about to prepare for the release of his fourth Ultima game. He didn't know, however, that on the other side of the ocean, many other programmers would soon get to work inspired by his games. The video game industry was about to change again, much faster than Richard could ever have expected, and the boom in Japanese role-playing games would be the least of his worries. To learn more, subscribe to Spam 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 Humbug on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Anchor.fm at anchor.fm slash podcast or at spam 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 humbug.com. To find out more about Through the Moongate, visit thera.it. That's T-H-E-I-R-A dot I-T. You can also find the book on Amazon. And of course, you can learn more about the book and its author at andreacantado.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A-C-O-N-T-A-T-O dot com. A big thank you to author Andrea Cantato for not only undertaking the effort of writing through the Moongate, but also for agreeing to allow for it to be read to you in this and following Spam 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 Humbug episodes. Tune in in a couple weeks' time for the next chapter. I'm going to make some games and I'll show them to you when I'm done.